Welcome to The Bottom of the Glass, a podcast about the art of traditional rudimental drumming and music of all origins. The Bottom of the Glass is hosted by Dave Loyal, Brendan Mason, and me, Brian Watkinson. We'll dig deep into the theories, the ideas, and the history of rudimental drumming, fifing, and world music through the words and experiences of those who are making music history today. All right, guys, another edition of The Bottom of the Glass. This is our Westbrook muster episode. Uh, yet another muster that uh, is going by date-wise that is not going to happen. The summer of bummer continues. Uh, interesting to note that this past weekend was also the Young Colonials muster, and that thing is gone as well. Uh, so, you know, we're missing it, but it's going to be a, a, a great episode, even though the Westbrook muster isn't happening, because we have a terrific interview and talk tonight with Mark Bernier and Bill Hart, who spend a lot of time talking about jam sessions, world music, folk music, fifing, percussion, uh, all different musters that they have been to over the years. So uh, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. And it was our first time having Fifers on the podcast, so that should make some people happy. It's actually super yeah. surreal that that like not actually seeing these people in person, but you know, like I, I'm still kind of trying to make heads or tails of what this year actually is with with, with fife and drum and with jam sessions and all that stuff. Well, nobody knows, and you know, and there have been a couple of small ones, you know, like they did one at the Sweet Hall on the Saturday of the Deep River Muster, and that looked like a lot of fun. Um, and I think they had something at the Powder Mill Barn in Enfield uh, recently, or maybe it's been postponed or whatever. So, you know, and Stony Creek has done a few things with trying to be social distancing and all that kind of stuff. And they certainly did some really good tributes to Marty and and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's bizarre because nobody's seeing each other. You know, I mean, we're going to go, we're going to go a year, 18 months or whatever it is without really seeing each other so it's uh it's it's definitely a different vibe no doubt about it social media is is just not the same as seeing people in person (laughs) yeah no it is not no it becomes a pretty dark place too (laughs) Mm -hmm. it does and it's a real bummer you know i mean it it is a real bummer because you know this this weekend uh you know westbrook is I mean, it's it's weird because, you know, Deep River is, you know, you know, the big mama of all the of all the musters. And, you know, Young Colonials muster is an intimate, beautiful muster in a, in a beautiful part of the country. Um, the Westbrook muster is a little bit more controlled. It's smaller uh, when the weather is good. It can be the best gathering you ever went to. You and know, it's also- starting it's also the end of the year, so all the fife and drum corps happen to be playing at that point in the season at their best. So you're getting like great performances up and down. Um, and it's also just it, it's just like you said before, it's a lot cooler out, and it, it usually it's a lot cooler out than Deep River. So there's more cooking, there's more socialization. It's just it's just a way way better muster, I think. To, to sorry, sorry to cut you off, but who's that walking down the train? Is that our, our old pal, oh. Uncle Jer? Oh! Oh! Boy. No way! Boy, Uncle that Jer! Holy moly! Again, another surprise! Bust Good to see you, Uncle Jer! Boys, I haven't seen you boys in a while! Uh, it's, uh, it's okay. It's okay. Getting by. Getting by. Well, you know, uh, I would say you look good, but 
that would be a little bit of a lie. It's been I mean, a rough, rough summer, boys. <laughs> a rough one. I mean, you know, you look uh, you look thinner than you did at Deep River. Have you not been getting any of that gristle meat that you like so much? I don't know what's going on at the gristle mill, but uh, I think it's shut down. You guys hear about this virus, apparently, that's going around? Oh, yeah. I just heard yep. about this. Apparently, there's some kind of virus. My old pal, Stanky Joe. Boys, do you remember Stanky Joe? Oh, yeah. I, I, I try not to. From a childhood. Remember, I used to bring <laughs> Stanky Joe around. So your mother asked me to keep him away once he started snaking all that silverware. <laughs> snaking the silverware. Yeah, yeah I, you know, Joe. that does. It rings a bell. Stanky Joe. Yeah, I ran into, you know that soup kitchen? He was ran into him down there, and he was, he was telling me all about there's some kind of virus going around. Apparently he was squatting in some hotel dumpster and found some newspaper. Told him all about it. You actually wrote a song about Stanky Joe and and the virus, didn't you? Oh, that was back in my blues days, boys. Can you sing that for us? Uh, my pipes just uh, aren't what they used to be. Oh, Stanky Joe. Oh, Stanky Joe. Get out of my house! Stanky Joe. <laughs> That's not quite how I remembered it. <laughs> That's just one verse, boys. How how could not have that have not been a hit? I'm not sure. I don't know. Never released it. That might be have something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so you've just learned about the virus, so, which means you have not been tested. Uh, which tested. means you, you could be ravaged. I'm with, tested uh, every day, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> It's rough out here. Uh, so have you been social distancing? What the hell does that mean, social distancing? Of course I have. I haven't had a solid conversation in weeks, boys. I don't mean to get too dark. But when you find yourself next to a farm you've never been to talking to the chickens at three in the morning, just wish for a, a campfire and some old pals to share some stories with. That's not the only solid thing you're missing. True. <laughs> so you don't own a mask, right? You're not wearing a mask. Well, you know, any hobo worth his salt. It's got a collection of bandanas, one for carrying their, their goods, one for the face on a cold night, you know, wind gets a whipping. <laughs> but uh, no, not, not, not very much. I'm six feet apart from people at all times. Uh, when was the last time you sanitized your hands? Uh, 1976, I would say. What did you use to sanitize it with? <laughs> Urine. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That's uh, hobo Purell. So, Uncle Jerry, what have you been up to lately? Well, boys, once I was able to get out from under that wheelbarrow I was telling you about... Found some pretty nice new digs. An old abandoned glass factory. Can you believe it? You know, when you're rolling around trying to get comfortable, it's easy to get cut up from all the broken glass that's in there. Gets in your eye, your shoes, your food. But it's pretty warm in there. Keeps me out of the public eye. But I'll tell you, these kids keep coming around and trying to pull pranks on me. Tying my bootlaces together while I sleep. Poking holes in all my cans of beans. Trying to run off with all my loot. But I'll have the last laugh, boys. I'm ready for the next time those little rascals come around. 
wait until they learn about old Uncle Jer's whipping stick. That's <laughs> uh, just a standard stick used for whipping. So, Uncle Jer, with the Westbrook Muster supposed to be happening this weekend, do you have any memories of the Westbrook Muster? Anything you'd like to tell us? Not too many, boys. I mean, I'm not really welcome around that gang no more after that famous incident involving what I perceived to be a free tent up for grabs, a whole mess of chicken bones, and an angry family who didn't say they wanted chicken bones thrown all around in their camp. But how was I supposed to know? There may also have been an altercation about a stolen mustard mug and a few swings of old Jer's whipping stick. But memories aren't always so reliable, boys. Old Uncle Jerry, you still have that that old cigar box banjo that, that you keep around, don't you? Boys, I hate to tell you, but I had to hawk that. And I, as much as it meant to me, a man's got to eat, man's got to sleep, man's got to drink. So that's long gone. Sing us a song about how that banjo made you feel. All right, boys. My banjo, my best friend. <laughs> Keeps me company. You know, that uh, that tune Always. must bring the ladies around late at night, I would think. Oh, sure. Absolutely. They, they, they flock to me. Uh, I can't lie, boys. It's been rough. No ladies coming around old Jer's camp. Not anytime soon. Not until I'm able to scrap up some coins and get my old banjo back. So aside from, you know, cans of beans and uh, the like, what have you been scrounging up for food these days, Uncle Jer? Summer's a good time for scrounging, lads. It's uh, the summer scrounge, as we call it, down by the tracks. Mark it on our you have calendars. calendars. Uh, you know, it's a good good time of year. What's that? <laughs> oh, sure. You got calendars. Absolutely. You can tattoo anything on a good thick thigh. So when summer scrounge comes around, we... Uh, Working teams of three, get our get our bums out to the fields and dig up some <laughs> potatoes, some weeds, make some dandelion tea. What is your favorite recipe? Your world. I want to hear what you like to cook. So, boys, you get a you get an old an old uh, you get an old cooking pot, boys. Every good hobo's got one tied around his pack. Inside, you put uh, some river water. Preferably still water from creek. If it's moving, it's a little too fresh. It needs to needs to, to sit for a little while. <laughs> the uh, a dead bird. <laughs> so, Uncle Jer, what are your plans yeah. uh, after the Westbrook muster's over? Um, what are you going to do? I mean, fall's coming. Winter's around the corner. What do you think? In my community, we call fall the. It's, that's winter. Okay. So it's time to move south. I'm thinking Mexico, maybe farther south, Argentina, uh, anywhere they'll take me. But it's a you know got to find a place to survive, hole up. I don't think the glass factory is gonna keep me going all all winter That's long. That's awful. It's a little too cold in there. <laughs> Tough life. That is true. That is true. I'm kind of depressed right now. Sorry, boys. It's uh you, you asked me here. I'm uh. <laughs> so, Uncle Jer, 
how are you talking to us right now? Are you on a computer or are you on Go somebody else's phone? So whose can is he attached it's to, guys? The old can with a string to another not, can trick, boys. Works like a Not charm. mine. Not mine. I'll never know. Oh, it's a long whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you going? Oh, well, I, I, I gotta go. Bye, Uncle Jer. Bye, Uncle Jer. Bye, Uncle Jer. Choo-choo! Ah. So if you like this podcast, if you're enjoying this podcast, our Westbrook Musker edition, and if you'd like to support the bottom of the glass, please go to patreon.com backslash bottom of the glass podcast and you can donate. Uh, I have to tell you, we have been picking up some patrons uh, along the way. We appreciate everyone. We're trying to get to the point where we can fund the expenses of this podcast. And at that point, we will take uh, 100% of the proceeds and we will give them to the company of fifers and drummers. And every week we seem to be getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. So uh, if if you'd like to donate, we would love it, and that will help us uh, start moving some money over to the company for all their outreach and all the other stuff that the company of fifers and drummers does. Oh, uh, my gosh. Jer. Not again, Jer. Still no chance uh, I can get a, any of that coin, boys. Look, yeah, out of here. See ya. Jesus. I'm sorry. I so actually, what's pretty good I'm right going, now is right. we have enough money to uh, cover the expenses of one podcast a month. So we're trying to get it to be about two podcasts, maybe three podcasts a month. Uh, we're very, very close. So if anybody would like to donate, please, please, it, it helps. Any little bit helps. Okay, so, yeah, we were going to put 100% of the proceeds after covered expenses to the company of Fifers and Drummers. Now we're going to give it to Dave so he can buy some technology so he can actually do a podcast. You know, I'm much more happy with a handsaw than I am with these freaking webcams that never work. (laughs) (laughs) So Dave Dave had an article recently in the Washington Post that I didn't want to read because I would never, ever spend that dollar a month. Uh, <laughs> but, it was but two dollars for me to get the print version. <laughs> uh, you bought a print version? Of course, I brought it on the wow. print version. Right. I think that's what we need to do for this uh, our Patreon. We need to charge people a dollar a month so they can read our important. <laughs> but anyways, they had some uh, some pretty cool things happen to him. Uh, something to do with with George Washington's wood. So. <laughs> I don't even know where to take it from that, but let's let's just yeah let let's just talk about it. So um, about George Washington's wood, Dave. <laughs> so um, we've made a lot of stuff for the for the old guard. You know, not only the fife and drum corps, but but also all the different um, companies. And I was approached uh, several months ago to to do new espontoons for the commander in chief's guard, which is the the unit that was created by George Washington in 1784 to be is personal guard. <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of ceremonies where, where, where that's, that's uh, spoken. So I, I think we've kind of memorized the words, but, um, but yeah, so, um, so we decided to make this a little bit special for them. 
So we're hand, we, we hand forged everything with, with help from the Black Horse Forge, a veterans charity. Um, it's about 10 minutes from the shop, which is super cool. Bunch of great guys. Um, we, we hand forged all the metal parts for these things um, to make them a little bit more historically accurate and just really cool. Um, and we decided, okay, what's the next step to what we can do with this? And um, so I reached out to Mount Vernon to see um, ab about using some of the wood that they had. And of course the answer always starts out as no. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, head of horticulture there, his name's Dean. And, you know, I think his, his response in the email was like, literally no Dave, <laughs> cause we, we've worked before, but it's taken an arm and a leg to, 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 to kind of get things set up. So anyway, um, so we, we went up the chain of command and had people write letters, formal letters um, to Mount Vernon, um, and it, we ended up getting the approval to use um, some of this wood um, from a tree that George Washington planted in 1780, I think it was. Um, how, so, how long did it take you to get this approval? Was this a long process? Uh, it depends on which approval we're talking about. For the, for the, the one for the Espontoons, couple of months maybe a month or two um for the drums it's been about two years wow so, and, and that that's from the previous um project that we had done with with some other wood from the estate um so but but yeah apparently we were actually approved to use the use the wood a couple of years ago <laughs> but nobody ever emailed me back the the ratified contract so um whatever we went out to to mount vernon so we went down to Mount Vernon and met with Dean um, to, to look at parts of the tree. And of course, as we're looking at this massive tree that that's just, it's crossing a roadway, you know, it's, it's, it's this huge piece of wood and he's saying, all right, so which parts do you need? I'll, I'm going to grab, grab my chainsaw. And he's pointing at all these little gangly branches and things like that. And I was like, we're like, no, Dean, like like it has to be from the trunk. And he, he said, you're not getting the trunk. Um, and from there it was like, well, what are you going to do with it? Like, are you going to make salad bowls for the gift shop? Come on. Like, this is, this is an important thing. This is a historic piece of wood. You know, this is the unit that George Washington created, you know, like, like this is going to be something special. Um, and so of course his response was, well, we don't have the equipment. We don't have the capacity to, to, to handle this. Um, so I called my friends at the Black Horse Forge because they've also been getting into sawmills. Um, so they had a brand new sawmill um, and, and they're just a bunch of really good guys that, that have a lot of energy, um, you know, and they're all veterans and first responders. Um, and so, so I called them up and, and 15 minutes later, we, we had, I think, 30 guys that were, that were ready to, to, to go mill this log. Um, to be able to get the wood that we needed out for this project. Um, they even wanted to bring their Clydesdales down, um, which didn't end up happening, but it would have been kind of cool. Um, that would have been cool. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but so anyway, um, we, we had the event. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was phenomenal. There, there was a documentary team from the USS Sequoia, which was the, the presidential yacht, um, retired, um, and it's owned by a foundation now that's restoring it. Um, so they, they had a documentary crew there. Um, the Washington Post was there doing um, the coverage. 
over, you know, the just the entire event. The old guard was there as well. Um, the the command team, Alpha Company, which is the Commander Chief's Guard, had a representation as well as the Fife and Drum Corps who played the national anthem um, and some other things. Um, and then we started cutting with the the eight foot hand powered crosscut saw ceremonially. Okay. So, yep. so how big was this tree trunk and what kind of wood was it? So it is a white oak. Um, and depending on where you measured, some of the, the parts of the tree on its side were about as tall as I am, which is six foot seven. Wow. So, um, you know, it, it was a pretty good size. Um, you know, as you go up the tree, it gets smaller in diameter, of course. Um, so, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? It does? So, <laughs> I was in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going there, man. <laughs> no, but so yeah, we we slabbed out a lot of wood. Um, the we were actually there for for two days, um, all day. It rained on us um, towards the end of the first day, but it was about one hundred and five with the heat index. Um, you know, just standing in the sun, milling wood and using chainsaws and having a great time. Wow. I'll tell you, that's really cool. Well, like I was telling you, I, I shared your, uh, your post about it on social media and a lot of people found it to be really, really interesting. And you told me that you got like a, an insane amount of likes on it just, just through, uh, interest and stuff. So there was a pretty decent reach on, on that stuff. Um, you know, and there are more pictures that other people took. Of course, you know, I, I was in it, so I wasn't able to, to really take that many pictures. Um, but yeah, things worked out pretty well, I think. That's so it cool. sounds it is really cool. I think, Dave, we're all just proud of you and just to see where you're taking this company and and all the different cool projects that you're doing. So, Dave, would you say that Washington's wood is good? Ish. I don't know what that means. That's weird. I don't even... <laughs> cool. So, so one additional um, part of this story with with this this tree um, is that in 1865, during the the, the grand review of the Union Army, um, as they were coming through, they actually carved core badges into it. So there's like a cross and a star that were carved in in 1865, and for the last you know 150 some odd years. Um, they've actually been, been maintaining those carvings, um, as part of the foundation. Um, so they've been maintaining them by, by chipping away some of the, some of the overgrowth so that it didn't just collapse in on itself. So that was a chunk that we, we cut out of the tree, um, that's going to be saved, um, for their museum. Um, there was also a slice taken out, um, to be able to count the rings that was going to be sent to, uh, a university somewhere. Um, so yeah, just a lot of really, really cool stuff. Um, and, and great collaborations all around. I mean, there's so many moving parts to this whole thing, but just seeing everything come together, um, and the amount of positivity with this was just absolutely incredible to, to be involved with. That is really cool. Really cool. What a project. And we're also building three drums, <laughs> if I didn't right. mention that. <laughs> right. And, and some, fife, some fifes are going to come out of it as well. None of this stuff is for sale. Um, I've already gotten some requests 
Um, you know, about like, hey, hey, I hear you're making a drum out of a tree that George Washington planted. Can can I buy one? You know, um, sorry, but that's that's not really what what's happening here. Um, so the the, the three drums, one is going to be donated to Mount Vernon, um, or I, I guess it always belonged to them. It's just in a different form now, right? Right, right. <laughs> but um, one's going to stay at my shop um, to be lent out to the old guard. Um, and then the, the third one is going to the old guard, um, so that hopefully all three of these, these snare drums, um, are going to be put together, um, for performances on Mount Vernon. Capskin or plastic? <laughs> Obviously capskin. Yeah. Like, nice. so, so, um, I'm actually looking at, at doing these a little bit off size as well. Um, so instead of, it's going to be between 16 and 17 inches when, when we actually glue up the shells. Um, some of them are already steam bent. Um, you know, we kind of have to have to move quickly on some of this wood. Um, so it's been constantly soaking in my shop since we did this. Um, and, you know, just trying to make the, the most use out of it and going forward with it. So, um, I was thinking about doing maybe like 16 and three quarters or something just so that no plastic could ever fit on these heads mm, <laughs> on, nice, on nice. the drums. So, cause it Excellent. doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter once you, you know, if, if you, if you're building the drum and you're, you have a flesh hoop, you just put whatever you right. put a calfskin on it and it's, you, it's good to go. Yeah, make, make some oddball size and no one can ever put plastic on the damn thing. Right. Which yeah, I, perfect. I don't think that the that the people that are going to have access to these drums would ever put plastic on it anyway. But you know, but um, you never know in a, in a hundred fifty years from now, right? You just you just never know. So true. So do you, that's do you cool. Think the sound's going to be dramatically different using white oak. I mean, you know, it's not going to be the the it's not the premier um, wood to use for a drum. Um, you know, I. I we, we use ash and maple, um, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing though. When we were um, hacking off little branches and things off these logs in the sawmill, just just to to get clearance for the for the actual mill itself, um, some of that sound was resonating through through the tree. You could hear it just like resonating through this entire you know twelve foot long, huge, massive piece of piece of wood, and. It sounded really nice, actually. Like it, it was, it was a nice, warm tone. So I'm really excited to hear what these drums do sound like. Today we have two amazing members of the fife and drum community, but they're just not limited to involvement with fife and drum. Mark Bernier and Bill Hart are part of the folk music community and the world music community. Between the two of them, they play fife, they play piccolo, flute, string instruments, percussion, they sing, they compose, they arrange, and they've been longtime members of some epic fife and drum corps like Colonial Navy of Massachusetts, the Ancient Mariners, and AmeriClique. Bill and Mark are serious. And let me tell you, serious, serious musicians, not serious like they got a stick up their ass. 
but uh, we're really happy to have them here. They're, they're very dear friends to each other, and they're also very dear friends to us. So Mark Bernier, Bill Hart, welcome to the bottom of the glass. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, we're looking forward to it because this is going to be a fun talk. We're just going to kind of, you know, wing it and see how it goes. Now, let me start if that's all right. Bill, now, and we've asked this uh, question of, of other guests that we've had, but you come from a fife and drum family, and we have uh, posed this question. Was it preordained for you to get into fife and drum, or was there a chance it may not have happened? Oh, as far as starting out to learn how to play the fife, it was pretty much a given because my father played the fife and all the guys he hang out with were, you know, so cool. I wanted to be like them, wanted to be with them. So there was no doubt that I was going to be a fife player. There was a turning point when I was in college. I, uh, I transferred out of one college into another and it was a question about where I was going to go. And it was either go to Connecticut to play the fife or go to New Hampshire so that I could ski. And uh, I chose Connecticut and the rest is history, as they say. I was there. I was watching. <laughs> Mark, you do a lot of everything. You are a shantyman. You play fife, strings. You're a percussionist. Compose and arrange. Is there any part of you, Mark? You do a lot of everything. You're a shantyman. You play fife, strings. You're a percussionist. You compose and arrange. Is there any part of that that you like to do more than the other? Um, it's a swinging pendulum. It's a swinging pendulum. I I rarely do. I rarely focus on more than one of those things at a time, but one thing moves me into another. Um, yeah, I went a number of years where Bill will attest that, that uh, oh, I bet you I went close to 10, 15 years where I was rarely seen around fife and drum, except for, you know, the holy days of obligation, Deep River and Westbrook, uh, you know, I, I was rarely seen, you know. The 10 years I played with the Creek, I was a three or four parade a year guy, you know, for, for like that decade, you know, and I was singing full time. I was playing in two bands and singing at the seaport, you know, so I rarely did parades. But yeah, I, I, I enjoy everything I do, but I rarely do them more than one thing at a time. Mm. Um, I don't remember ever getting any trouble for it. Um, I, I did tend to stand out. I, I, I never, I never fully, I never fully sunk into the Creek groove as much as I think I should have. And that, that would have worked better had I, had I participated more. Um, I think, um, I think I play better with the Creek today, today than I did when I played with them. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, on the occasion, uh, you know, occasion, there's a couple gigs that we do far away that I'll be there and they'll be short on fifes and I'll play with them. And, and uh, I've, uh, I've become a better fifer since I joined the Mariners. So, Mark, I have a follow-up question to, to Brendan's um, question. And so years ago, I remember you singing, I think it was on your way to, um, uh, the Mariners were going to Basel that year. And there were some new guys um, that it was going to be the first time you had mentioned you were telling them about how they're going to have to get up and sing a song. Um, and I remember you you demonstrating by singing a French sea shanty. Um, and it's always stuck with me. I like it. Like I, I still kind of hear it in my head. And, and I thought it was a really cool 
ad-lib performance. Um, so my question is, do shanties differ from culture to culture? Um, are there any highlights of, of different cultures that, that you really enjoy? Okay, shantying, okay, you're gonna get the scholarly answer here. <laughs> shantying is an English- the beer, boys. Right, right. <laughs> shantying is an English language tradition. Um, and it's an English merchant tradition. It, um, shantying their work songs, they provide a cadence to specific jobs and certain shanties applied to certain jobs. Um, and it's primarily, like I said, an English language merchant tradition. Um, at the turn of the century, as the age of sale was dying, and there was a romanticism of the losing of the age of sale, um, people around England and on Western Europe took a lot of these shanties and translated them. So there's now there's French, there's Dutch, there's Polish shanties, but they all originate from England and Ireland and the US. It's an English language tradition. So the French shanties are actually late. There are French fishermen songs, but they're not shanties. They're fishermen songs. Is that sort of a similar structure? They, they don't feel like a march. They don't have a work rhythm to them. Right. You know, and, and your shanty sung by a proper shanty man will feel like a march. It, it, it is not un, un, it's not different in structure from the cadence your drill sergeant yelled at you in PT. You know, you know they're given couplets, mm -hmm. you know, to provide for pulling on a line or heaving on a machine or whatever that specific job is. And that's primarily a merchant tradition. In the European and American navies, there were various instrumental traditions that provided that rhythmic foundation, that cadence for that work. Um, in the American Navy, you would have a duty fifer and drummer that were attached to the Marine detachment, attached to the man of war. Interesting. Very interesting. The yeah. short answer is it's an English language tradition, but all seafaring peoples have songs. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. That's something. Bill, Colonial Navy has played all over the world. You played in Europe, Canada, uh, Bermuda, I saw on the site. Um, you know, when, when we talked to David Nelson of Dickerson, we asked him, so what is the, what is the difference when you play to a, a crowd in uh, somewhere else in the world that is not familiar with fife and drum? You know, here, we're all familiar with fife and drum. We get it. We understand what it is. Um, but when you play for someone in another part of the world that really doesn't know fife and drum, what kind of reaction do you get from, from the crowd? Is it different? Is it special? Hmm. I would say it would depend on how well we can engage them while we're performing. Hmm. My father is the spokesman when we do concerts for people, and he's pretty good at, at engaging the crowd. And we give him some visual flash with the muskets and the uniforms, sing them come up with sea shanties. So it isn't like we stand there and play fife and drum at him for half an hour. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, 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 that is, that is true. That can get a little long in the tooth, for sure. So. But yeah, it, but, it, but it must be pretty special for, you know, like if you're in 
Bermuda and someone has not seen Fife and Drum and, you know, here, here you guys, you know, come on a, come on a podium or on stand and, and kind of whack it out for 10, 15 or 20 minutes. It's a, it's gotta be pretty cool. Yeah, we were just down in Florida a couple of years ago and marched to St. Patrick's Day Parade down there, and nobody had ever seen Fife and Drum, and they thought we were just like the coolest thing in the world. Hmm. Right, right. Do you guys still do the um, Savannah uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade? We have not done. We haven't been in a couple of years now. Yeah, I hear they that is. Do it again? I don't know. That's an amazing parade. I heard. It's a pretty wild parade. I've marched that parade, and yeah, yeah. it's a fun one for sure. Yeah, it is really fun. Stretch at the end where it kind of drags out for longer than it needed to be, but <laughs> the good parts are really good. Yeah. So, Bill, I, I've heard so many stories about Yale Ave. Can you tell us a little bit about what made Yale Ave so special <laughs> between you and Mark kind of tying together? <laughs> I want to hear the stories. <laughs> you guys are yeah, younger than the- Yale Ave. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's not, but you weren't, we didn't hang out together back then. No, we did not. What year was this? Um, nine, 85 to 93. Okay. 85 yeah. to 93. Yeah, that's when I was, I was out of fife and drum for that whole period. Right. You yeah. lived there from 85 to 87, 88, Bill? Yeah, let's say that, that sounds about right. 87, 88, yeah. Yeah, but it was just the right combination of people. We were young, we were careless. We didn't just want to have a good time. No families, no responsibilities. Show up to work at Data Mill, where Mark and I both work together. It was not a particularly taxing job mentally. So if you, you know, drank a case of beer the night before, you could still do your job. <laughs> Would you say that both of you guys grew as musicians, being able to, to be around each other so much or? Is that something that you guys talked about while you were with each other? Oh, Bill and I played music seven days a week. I There was one span of time, actually, this might have been after Bill moved out. Matthias Kern from the Swiss Colonial spent a summer at 95 Yale Ave. I guess it was Jack Hannon and I living there at the time. But we went all summer long. On Monday night, we'd go to Sailing Masters rehearsal. On Tuesday night, we go to Whiskey Rebellion rehearsal. On Wednesday night, we go to Kenish Guards rehearsal. On Thursday, we'd swap between Lanecraft and the Creek. And on Friday, we'd go to the muster of that weekend and then start again on Monday. We, you know, and you joined us frequently for that, Bill. But yeah, I think Jack was living with us. But yeah, we played music. Every day, every night, they, you could do nothing but grow, you know? And we played with good people. I mean, like I said, you know, you know, we were going to Lanecraft rehearsal. We were going to Whiskey Rebellion rehearsal. You know, there was good people in the Sailing Masters and the KGs then. And then on Friday night, we went to, you know, whatever muster it was that weekend. You know, because there's a muster almost every weekend. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a full schedule. You know, every day of the uh, week. Oh, it was fun. You know, and yeah. Jack Jack Hannon doesn't drink. Yeah. You know, so, you know. With, with all this music that you guys had going on um, in your lives, I, I'm, I'm curious about, and this is a question for both of you, um, you know, there's a lot of Irish influence in Fife and Drum, um, for instance. There's some Swiss influence, there's some different things. 
what are some of the more like oddball, um, unique influences that um, have helped kind of shape you, um, e either of you, with your approach to style, writing, or performing? Yeah. Well, I would have to say that a uh, name that doesn't come to mind when you think of Fife and Drama would be Bach, would be the biggest influence. Bach and Telemann and my arranging and approach to uh, writing music for the Fife and even writing me playing the guitar as well. But particularly when it comes to writing Fife music, I'm a real uh, fan of polyphonic types of arrangements. Yeah, and so in the late 80s, I started playing with a Cajun band and I immediately started associating with a lot of American string band player people instead of Irish string players, you know, instead of Irish fiddlers, I was hearing like Mississippi fiddlers and Appalachian fiddlers and Cajun fiddlers. So it just gave me a different approach on how that linear music can be, can be heard, you know? And then ever since I was a little kid, I mean, my idea of classical music is a good march. I, you know, Bill, you know, I like marches and, and anybody that's seen my arrangements, that, that's the direction I lean in. I do write counter melodies and stuff like that, but it, but it's chords and, you know. I just yeah. saw that uh, Shandy Man Souza arrangement you did. That's that a cool march. Really, really cool. I liked it a <laughs> <Right>. lot. Right. <laughs> what, he wrote that in 1918. Yeah, a lot of fun. You know, again, this romantic period where the waterfront was changing, all of a sudden it looked different. So people started collecting this music. This is when Fife, Fife and Drum Corps were formed, too. You know, between 1880 and 1920, you know, that, that whole thing, you know, things were be becoming industrialized. So people had weekends off, you know, and they started getting together on Thursday night and then going someplace and doing a parade on Saturday, you know. Up until after the Civil War, people worked every day, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's that same period of time, you know, people were writing books about the sea, people were collecting sea shanties, Susan Tchaikovsky and Holst are writing songs about, you know, marches and, and, you know, so it all happened about that same time when the French started stealing sea shanties. <laughs> that's cool you know i i have been following mark your 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 social media music submissions and they seem to have a great following what kind of feedback are you getting on the pieces that you've been putting on social media i think they're positively received hmm. um i'm gonna be fair it's hard to ask me a question like that i'm 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 as far as that kind of thing, I, I'm pretty highly critical. I, you know, as you, you know, I've, I've spent half my life going, oh, people should think more of me, <laughs> you know. Um, but no, I'm, I'm averaging 100 to 200 views on each, you know. And I've been, awesome. I've been doing this for, I just looked, I've done 140 videos so far. Wow. I've done 140. Whoa. I've been doing this since March, since like the day after St. Patrick's Day, like right around there. That's, you know, when everything and everybody was bombed out. Everything was yeah. canceled. Oh, this is going to be, a, you know, a miserable two weeks. And it's complaining. I started singing songs, you know, and that was five months ago. Right. And you haven't stopped. Yeah. That's at cool. this stage of the game, you know, at this stage of the game, it's like, okay, I'm going to do it until nobody's watching 
Because you know? <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's not like hard for me. I come home from work, I open a cancer, and I sing a song. Yeah. You, usually it takes me that long. I can usually do it once. Occasionally it takes me two or three times. Yeah. Yeah, but but you know, usually I just sit down. You know, a couple of them been hard. Yeah. Well, now, do yeah. you decide during the day, like you know, hey, maybe I'll sing. You know, like you did a boy named Sue last week, which I thought was awesome. You know, like what possessed you, and when did you decide to do a boy named Sue? In all honesty, I sat down. And there was a Facebook request when I sat down, Mark, could you sing A Boy Named Sue? And I grabbed my guitar and I sang A Boy Named Sue. Wow. <laughs> I was going to do something else. And that happens as often as it doesn't. I was going to yeah. sing something else tonight. And I, there were three, three uh, private messages. And I went, okay, God, yeah. by golly. I'm going to sing this. I sing a song in Italian tonight. <laughs> hey, I also saw you, watched you sing Cross the Bar as a tribute to Marty Garrity. Well, Marty um, passed. And that was really emotional, and it was really, really beautiful, and thank you for that. What did, what did Marty mean to you? Probably well, I played, a lot. I played in the creek with Marty. Yeah. I played in the creek with Marty. I, I just – I, I – I don't, I don't know where I said it, but I said it on one of these videos. Um, I didn't know Marty really, really well. I mean, you know, but, but, but I played with him and, and uh, he's just, he's just a man that I never heard have a negative word. And then, and then I said a couple times I played with the Creek every year I go up to Camden to do this uh, scholarship fundraiser thing um, that the Creek and Camden have been doing for years in like the end of November. And the past two or three years, I think one year there was no Pfeiffers. One year, Marty was the only Pfeiffer. And then this past year, it was uh, Marty and Dave Sacco. So mm. for the last three years, I've, I've played, you know, oh, I remember what it was. They, they, actually, they had three Pfeiffers this last year, but it was just me and Dave Hookirk there as Mariners. And Dave Hookirk didn't want to play as a duo. He goes, would you be offended if I asked the Creek if we could play with them? And I went, me get to play with the Creek? Would I be offended? <laughs> you know, I got nothing to prove here. Everybody knows who I am. I got to play with the Creek. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, so I, I, just, I just enjoyed him. He was just a positive guy. I didn't know him really, really well. But, but I was very moved. Once again, I had just sat down and I and I saw Tim Goss's post, "Rest in peace, Marty," and and I actually that afternoon had prepared a song in my head to sing, and and I just popped a beer, turned around, pushed the button, and sang "Crossing the Bar" for mm. Marty. It was just that 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 was that was seconds after I heard it. You know that was, but yeah, so that happens as often as it doesn't. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So I'll I'll keep it in fife and drum. Um, I, I've both I've been involved with both of you on uh, separate fife and drum recordings. Uh, I, this part's a two part question. I'll start with Bill first. 
What are some of your favorite fife and drum recordings that you've ever listened to and that were an inspiration for the sound that you have in that you that you're looking for in recordings today? So first I'll ask Bill and then I'll, I'll swing it over to Mark. Oh, that's an easy question. It's uh, it's the uh, oh god, now I'm drawing a mental blank. Dave Gregory's project there. Who are those guys? <laughs> oh, Wayworn Travelers. Uh, Way, Wayworn Travelers. Wayworn Travelers. Mm. Yes, thank you. Thank Wayworn you. I listened Travelers. to that album constantly when I was a kid. Constantly, they were my idols. If they had put out posters of themselves, <laughs> they would have adorned my bedroom. <laughs> I just, they were the coolest guys in the world in my eyes. And uh, they've been my my goal ever since I first got that album. And of course, there's excellent drumming to... on that one as well with Paul Cormier and, and Ray Broder. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> People tell me. <laughs> yeah, they say there's some pretty good drumming on there. I've been told that too. <laughs> so, Mark, what about you? Um. I've never listened to a lot of recorded fife and drum, honestly. Um, I've never, I, I've just, I never listened to it until I started living with Bill. And, and we really, we didn't listen to a lot of music then. We played music all the time. We play fifes till 10 o'clock and then we pick up our guitars. I, you know, um, so I've never listened to a lot of recordings. There, there are some recordings out there today that I highly recommend. You know, um, you know the, the 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 recording you guys did a couple years ago is is really good fifing and drumming. Um, you know, the Mariners' first album is a really interesting album. You know, I agree. Yeah, it's really entertaining. You know, it, you know, um, you know, both the Regimentals and Sons. The Yanks is a great album. You know, yeah. You know, the Yanks is a great album, you know, and I, I certainly never knew any of those albums, those record albums when I was developing, although I do remember the Yanks. I, I, I can remember them in parades because they listed, they listed their championship years on the, on the bass drum head. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, and there was what seven or eight of them. You know, they 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 listed their championship years on the drum head, so the drum head was, you know, I distinctly remember that. So I have a question for you, Bill. Um, this one comes from Kara because she wanted me to ask it. Um, I'm interested as well. But so, how has the flute influenced your fife playing? Um, in your book, Better, Stronger, Faster, it takes a lot from the Marcel. Moi joy joy style. Moiser style? Is that it? Marcel Moise. Of style of rehearsing. What can fight take from the flute? <laughs> well, I would ha I have to give all the credit for that to Tishka because she was a classically trained flute player. And she was the one who introduced me to Marcel Moise. And also um, Taffanel and Gorbert who wrote an exercise book that I still use. I use both of their two books every day. And I love to practice exercises and the flute, those flute book exercises have been my go-to things. Every, every five player should practice long tones. People don't do it enough. They don't develop their sound at all. And I think the, the importance of long tones can't be oversold, even though they seem boring and pointless. And that's the book, Taffanel and Gobert. 
And uh, if you practice these things, they just make you a better fifer. And exercises, which is what I learned from Tishka and about how to be a good flute player, is the key to getting better. Just make sure your pitch doesn't waver. Make sure you've got control of the sound. You want it to be warm. You want it to be full. And you want to see what different kinds of colors you can get because you shouldn't play the same color in your playing every time. Guarantee your role. You want to speed it up. Speed it up for a minute and a half and then slow it back down too, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bill, I, I was shocked, you know, when we were kind of, you know, putting this together and, and getting ready to talk to you. I was shocked to discover that uh, AmeriClique is going to be celebrating your 30th year anniversary this year, which is amazing and it just blows my mind. Um, so, you know, you're absolutely unique here in America, completely changed our knowledge and understanding of Swiss music. And we should all, well, we should all probably be in Basel right now instead of, you know, having this podcast, which is, which is unfortunate. But um, what does AmeriClique mean to you? And what is your impression of the core? And what has it brought to folks in American fife and drum? Hmm, there's a lot to unpack there. I can tell you the most important thing it meant to me when we formed this corps was a chance to run our own fife and drum corps. Right. Right. We had all, Mark and I and Tishka and Bill Sander with the founding members, Chris Lucia would played a part. We'd all been in other fife and drum corps. They'd all been run by adults, which is just basically guys older than us. And they were always telling us what to do. We can't spend money on this. We can't do this. You can't do that. We don't want to play that. It's too hard. And we, it was our opportunity to break free and also form a core where no one was going to join unless they were really committed to this whole project. So, oh, Bill Ralston was also a founding member. Thank you, Rachel. Right. And the timing was perfect. We had just made friends with all these Swiss people. You know, we were we were 20, 22 years old and we had just made friends. You know, we were first ones to have Swiss friends. <laughs> <laughs> the fight for Swiss friends was fierce back in the eighties. Let me tell you, it was a battle. <laughs> it was like, if you've, if you've ever read an Edith Wharton novel in which competing social circles trying to get the English Duke to come to their dinner party, this is what it was like to try and get Swiss people to be your friends. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. But we would get Swiss people to come to 95 Yale Lab. Ah, there you go. You know, right. And America. Right. AmeriClique was formed in the basement of 95 Yale Ave. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense because that's the years. Those are the years you guys were there. That's crazy. Yeah, phenomenal. So, Bill, I heard you quit smoking. Is I have. That true? It's been four years now, I think. Oh, has it been? Oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. I just, yeah. wow. That's really crazy. And it, it has it really helped you maintain your sunny disposition as well so <laughs> yeah I've no, noticed I, I, that. I actually thought you were smoking more recently than that i just i just bring it up because you know when i quit smoking like a long time ago it was phenomenally difficult and uh it took me nine times to do it before it you know finally stuck and it's just something that should be commended because it's one of the hardest things to ever do that is for sure so mark i heard 
a story about you and the scum pond at Sudbury <laughs> during the 90s. Where, I was uh, in you, the creek then. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> but you, had, you had to take a little dive in the scum pond. Were you fishing out a fife? I seem to recall it was my mug. It might have been a it fife. It was his mug. It was my mug, right? Right. It was yeah. a mug. <laughs> and people and he, were uh, trying to pull me out. And I was like, let go of me. My mug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's oh, the other half of that story that you have to remember is that at the exact same moment that Mark fell off one side of this, like the scum pond is like a big earthenware dam, human constructed. And it's right. got a pond on one side and then a, a slope embankment down the other. At the moment that Mark fell into the pond, at the other side of the embankment, Tim Michael fell down and rolled all the way down the hill through the prickle bushes, the rocks, and the poison ivy. So while we're all going, Mark, Mark, we got to get out of the pond. Tim Muxel's down at the bottom of the hill going, help me, help me. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. That's good. So the following day, you know, get out of the scum pond, wipe myself off and continue the things we were doing. Scum pond? <laughs> you know, the following day, I had to march the, I, I, I went to um, the Bristol Mum Festival with the Creek, which is Ugh. Which is the day after, you know, thought nothing of it, put on my Creek uniform. Mm. When I finished the parade, my entire white shirt was stained this yellow green caca color. Ah, that's just, gross. You know, it was just because from Scum Pond, it had soaked into my pores. And I, I didn't know that. But, but wow, I, that's yeah, gross. Yeah, I had to replace the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. This this, this next question is for both of you, but um, I've had more experience uh, playing with you, Bill, um, in jam ses sessions um, with your style, and I've always tried to uh, learn as much as I can when, we're, when we do that. Um, what advice do, do you guys have for fifers and drummers, fifers and drummers, like we, I, I wanna hear for, for us as well, um, about performing musically? about that that kind of you know that listening environment and like what's your advice in this folk music environment you're not as important as you think you are listen to other people <laughs> i like it <laughs> yeah that would be it and not just i mean listen to fifers and drummers but also listen to other good instrumental musicians i think people like should listen to more instrumental playing from a variety of genres and a variety of instruments even if you don't think the instrument is connected to your tradition you can learn stuff about how to be a musician by listening to say a flamingo guitarist or a peruvian cana player all kinds mm -hmm. of different stuff mm -hmm. interesting that is interesting. you know for for instance i mean you all know i play with a pretty good fife and drum corps you know um or some people think they are but I am one of very few people on that fife line that actually invests any in energy or invests much energy in listening to what the drum line is doing. You know, when we have sectional rehearsals, the subject will constantly come up. Well, how long am I holding this note? I said, well, you hold it till the end of the seven, you know? You know, and that's going to vary depending on who's on the line this afternoon. It's going to. You as drummers know that, you know, or if there's a 15 or something, you know, play the phrasing the drum line is playing. And, and you organically change 
depending on who's there, you know? And, and likewise, the fifers have to listen. It, it would be nice if drummers listened to fifers. I don't think that happens as often. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying there, you know? Back to my earlier statement, you're not as important as you think you are. Listen right, well, to the whole thing, you know? Yeah, and the, the uh, term that, that I've always used to describe that um, is to try to avoid concentration because concentration feels like you're going introspective, but have more awareness. Um, just be aware. Just just let everything happen and, and fit yourself into that. Yeah. Got to embrace the hive mind at a, at a, in a musical ensemble and in a jam session. It's like you want to transcend. You can transcend your own consciousness and feel like you're part of a bigger thing. And you don't know where your playing ends and the other guy's playing begins because you're just what part of one unit. That's well, always, that's, that's always that's my goal. Magic happens too. That's where the magic happens when you have those little those little coincidences uh, with with other people um, where things just kind of line up that shouldn't have. And you know that's that's the most fun for me. I think I, I learned so much doing that recording with uh, Madison Street Project with Bill, Tishka, and Mickey, and, and just learning how to open my ears to the full ensemble. I, there was a lot of, lot, of, uh, a lot of change that happened as a young musician. I mean, I was like 20 or 21 playing with, with such excellent musicians. I was way in over my head, and, and I, I always thought that was um, you know, the, one of the greatest experiences I ever had. Uh, Bill, can you talk a little bit about some of those arrangements that, that you did for uh, Mad Madison Street Project that were just kind of against the grain? And I know we talked about it earlier uh, with the Wayward Travelers and how that was a big influence on that CD. But, you know, some they, we, we kind of went all over the place. We played some uh, Sons of Liberty tunes. We played some of your own arrangements. There was the Connecticut uh, style as well. Can you just uh, tell a little, bit, a little bit about that album? Well, I mean, I frankly admit that it was my attempt to recreate my own new, updated, so to speak, version of The Wayworn Travelers. I loved that album so much, and I wanted to do what they did, which was get a bunch of really talented players together, and to put out new and innovative fife and drum music. And so I looked for everything that I could find to make as wide-ranging uh, type of recording as I possibly could, but also had to be up-tempo and aggressive because I think people play too slow sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we definitely play Slow and that. pretty <laughs> is not fife and drum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, did you guys, did either of you or both of you uh, perform with the posse at any time? Both of us have. Both of you have. So, you know, getting back to we uh, recorded talking about with the posse. You recorded yeah, with the posse. Yeah, we did. That's There's cool. a recording. There's a not, recording somewhere. There's a few copies now, of it floating around. I have yeah. a copy. Dude. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because they never they never really distributed that recording, did they? Like full full scale? Not to me. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know I don't know what happened exactly that they decided they weren't happy with it. Um Although I could be just making stuff up. I don't know why it never got anywhere past the point where it was recorded. If it was dissatisfaction with the final result or it, it, it wasn't recorded in the studio. It was pretty crude. Um, it's recorded so think, in a bar. It was. Yeah. Right, right. And, and, and there was a mobile studio in a truck outside the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was talking to Steve Wood about that. 
And because uh, I guess he participated in that as well. And it was, I, I, you know, I guess when it just came down to the, the recording getting done, it just, I guess the, the pre-planning just wasn't quite there as much as it should have been. And it was a, just a little bit, little bit shaky just as far as it all coming together, not the playing, but kind of the, uh, the mixing and the, you know, the end product. So, and that's too bad because that's, that's a lot of work, you know, that goes into it. So that's unfortunate. That, that was a really good drum line. Yes. They were so much fun to play with. And once again, there's an example. You got to listen to what's going on because that's not like playing with anybody we had ever played with before. That, 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 right? I, right. That, and True. Amazing. They were so much fun to play with. I think some of us found it more difficult than others to, 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 to do that groove, but but I think we all enjoyed ourselves a great deal. Mm. So I'll tell you something though, Mark. Tish and I marched a parade with them one time um, down in New York, Fireman's Parade, uh -huh. whatever. And you want to know what core that playing with them was like in terms of the drumline and the marching? It was like being in the old Sailing Masters. I wow. can imagine. I, I can see that. The old Sailing Masters. The old when, Sailing right, Masters. Right, before, before they became different. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can see that. I can see that. You know, it's just like really open. It, it, it's aggressive, but that doesn't mean fast. You know, yeah. And, and very, very open, you know. But uh, yeah, the Sailing Masters were always very aggressive. You mm -hmm. couldn't relax and play with that core. <laughs> right. You know, oh. Yeah. So you uh, both have a lot of history in pipe and drum. Um, this is kind of a common question that we've asked several of our people, um, of, of our interviewees, but um, as we approach the 250th anniversary of, of the country, um, obviously the, the um, what was it? Semi-quincentennial. Semi Semi-quincentennial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm still perfecting that, that word, right, um, is is going to be a hopefully a very large time if COVID goes away by then. Um, oh, so, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts about um, about what's going to happen with Fife and Drum, where Fife and Drum should be going, um, and especially as we get up closer to this? I have a theory as to this. This could be a great thing for us. Um, drum Corps as a whole, this 20th century phenomenon, I firmly believe that if it wasn't for the bicentennial, that fife and drum would be even smaller than, than all the town bands and brass bands and small drum corps that used to exist. Um, fife and drum got a boost by the bicentennial. I mean, the old guard was formed in 63, you know, or 61, you know, uh, you know, right? 61. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, so you know, that's all gearing up to the bicentennial. This, you know, I hadn't thought of that. This could give us a good boost. We get, you know, in six years, you know. Um, yeah, Fife and Drum is full of bicentennial babies, both cores and players, people who got involved because right. it was the thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a teenager, there was two hundred Fife and Drum cores in Connecticut alone. You right, know. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, 
and that wasn't the case in the fifties, <laughs> you know, right. but, but you know, um, and, and I, I think drum corps is not a cool thing to do. I mean, Brendan, you could probably talk more to this, but you know, drum and bugle course are, you know, it's not what it once was, you know, it, it, you know. So do you guys think that, that the bicentennial, um, that it just kind of happened organically, or do you think that it, it was hard work that people, people were putting in to, to kind of foster that, to try to try and grow? Um, do you think that we need to, to strategize at all within the community, or do you think that it's just going to happen because it's going to happen? I think two things happened. There was a nostalgia thing that made the established cores get larger and be able to work things, you know, during the 60s and 70s there. And throughout the Northeast, I mean, there was tons of fife and drum corps. And, you know, just, I know so many people that played in a fife and drum corps for 10 years and haven't done so for 30, mm. you know, or 40, you know, um, you know, you know, you know, you grew up in Deep River, Brian. You know, how big were the Deep River Juniors in the mid-70s? Yeah. Oh, it my was a, goodness. You know? It was amazing. It was crazy. And, you know, and if you think about it, I mean, at that point, you know, Deep River, little Deep River. And, and when I lived there as a kid, you know, our population was like 4,000 or 3,500, whatever. They had three large Fife and Drum Corps, the seniors, the juniors, and the Tories. And they weren't small. I mean, you know, when, when the Tories would go marching down the street, it was a huge field of players, you know, and, and, but every, every town had one, you know. And then three and, miles over the hill, there were three Fife and Drum Corps in Essex. Right, right. And, you know, and, and Chester was big and, you know, and, you know, and if you remember like, you know, the Portland Fife and Drum Corps, which was a massive drum corps. A huge in the Fife 70s, and Drum Corps, right. And now it's just gone. And there, there are just so many of those big classic cores that, after the bicentennial, they just kind of, you know, weaned off, went away, and 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 that and that's it. I mean, it's right. It's just amazing. So we might get that resurgence. Maybe right. it's not going to be quite at that at that level of the bicentennial, but maybe it will be. Right. But then there were the fly-by-night cores. You know, the old Sabre Corps that lasted a decade. The, yeah. the the old Lime Eagle, Flying Eagle, Fife and Drum Corps. They probably lasted five or six years. You know, oh, yeah. but there was just there was thousands of us playing yeah. fife and drum. I didn't belong to a fife and drum corps as a kid. Um, oh no, 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 no! It was forbidden in the house that I grew up. Oh, yeah. My father played with the Sailing Masters in the sixties, huh. and I wanted to join a drum corps, and was told that drum corps is for grown-ups. Oh, no kidding. A parade, and those kids play in a drum corps. Those children don't live in your house, Mark. When you're 18, you can join a drum corps. Well, I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing like a taboo. Look what happened to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Within nice. weeks after being 18, I was drinking beer. I, I've played the fife since I was seven years old. Right. I haven't missed a deep river since 1969. But I didn't join if I didn't join a fife and drum corps until 1979. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you. So did did you practice with anybody? Were you taught by anybody? Played in my backyard. I played, played, in, backyard? played in my backyard. I made I made my first fife out huh. of a piece of copper tubing. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Out of a piece of half inch copper tubing, and it didn't play a perfect scale, but it played a scale. Wow. And then when my father was at work, I'd borrow his fight because he played with the sailing masters. Huh. 
but I couldn't play that when he was at home. So a few years ago, the Sailing Masters celebrated their 50th anniversary. That was, what was that? That was 2013? The Sailing Masters invited their alums on stand. Yeah, that seems right. That was the first time in my life I had ever played the fife with my father. Mm, really? Is that right? I was 52 years old, and it was the first time I had ever played a fife with my father. And it's the only time in my life. I, <laughs> you know, yeah. Wow. That's, That's amazing. Pretty, yeah. 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 So, so, and what was your reaction to it, and what was your dad's reaction? Oh, I was pretty choked up. I don't know if my father realized how because i mean i i take my fife and drum pretty seriously yeah and i mean those of you that grew up with people that play fife and drum have this have this relationship this thing that that i've never had you know mm -hmm. that, that was at the westbrook muster i played the fife with my father it's the only time i ever did you know i don't know if he knows how important that was to, to wow. me you know but you know I mean, uh, you've been playing with your father all your life, you know? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. You know, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. that's right. Yeah, both you guys, Brendan and Bill, you've been playing with your dads all your lives, which is pretty special. I've never played music with my father, and he's, he's I feel every bit the musician that I am. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was so, my father that got me to learn to play guitar because really? the Court of the Navy likes to sing. And he thought somebody should learn how to play guitar and can accompany these people when they're singing. And I was in sixth grade, I think. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'll go with you. Borrowed my friend's guitar, went with him, took lessons at the community college, and I've been playing ever since. Wow, that's cool. So I, I got a question for both of you again. So also looking towards the future, um, we've all been in terrible, terrible jam sessions. How would you guys fix jam sessions? You know, those big jam sessions that just get completely out of control. <laughs> I don't have an answer that wouldn't be offensive. No, I, I pay more <laughs> no bring it, bring it, man, bring it. <laughs> pay more attention to me. I will take care of everything. Follow me and I will deliver you a good jam session. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Bill actually knows the jam session, and one of the problems is, is there are certain parties that will there are there there are parties that like. Well, I'm tired of Bill running the jam session. Why does he think he can run the jam session? <laughs> and it's like you know because he goes to every single one all year long, and he actually knows organically what makes a good jam session. You know, um, he's really freaking good at it. That's what gives him the right. He really, he really, really is. You know. I've been standing next to Bill at jam sessions for 40 years, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I like to think idea. Bill enjoys himself more when I'm there, but I don't know that for sure, you know? Bill, Bill <laughs> no, you no, do run a very good jam session. It's, there's no doubt about it. I have probably, and I mentioned this in one of the podcasts, I have probably played in jam sessions more with you, Bill, than anyone else in Fife and Drum. You know, over the last twenty years or so, we have been in a lot of Because he goes to all games. of them. He goes, he goes to all of them. He's, he's always there. He's Mister Buster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and then I, I kind of cozy in, and he's like, "Hey, man, will you go over there with the drummers for God's sake?" <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that is true. So, where do you? Okay, so where do you guys think you're? Anything new you're going to do? Like for yourselves personally in fife and drum for 
you know, the years we all have left? Do you think you're going to start a core? You get, think you're going to stay put? You think you're going to compose? What's, what's your personal futures in this hobby of ours? Well, I think I got another album in me. I haven't figured out how to quite make it happen. Who's yeah. going to play? I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but I've been, practice, I've been practicing away, coronavirus or not. I got nothing else to do. So right. I think I'm, you know, time's going to come. I'm be ready. I mean, I'm not much of a fan of solo fife playing. It's kind of a weird thing to do, but it might be the thing that I do. Interesting. How about you, Mark? I'm, I'm strongly not a fan of solo fifing. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm strongly really not a fan of doing anything alone. I, I really, my musical enjoyment comes entirely from playing with people. Really, really, really. Um, as far as going somewhere else, um, some might take offense to that, but I kind of feel I'm in the elephant's graveyard now. Um, I, 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 I don't think I have anywhere to go from here. Um, that being said, um, up until March, when I haven't, you know, picked up the fife since then, um, playing with the Mariners is the hardest, is the most I've ever been challenged. It's the hardest book that I've ever had to be responsible for on a regular basis. So I'm constantly challenged. I have to work, in my opinion, to, 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 to be comfortable on that fife line and to play with those drummers. Um, I don't think I have the physical energy to take that any farther than that. Um, 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 I've tried to inspire them in a couple directions and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they're, they're really comfortable in what they do. Although I have written two good medleys for them, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, but, but yeah, I, I don't much think in the future. However, I am writing things that I think other people would sound good playing, you know? Um, you know, and once again, I love the march, you know, it's just, it's just a form of music. And one of the things I'm, the playing of jigs and reels as a march is something I'm becoming less enamored with. I would like to hear more composed marches out of us as a community. But, but, but I realize that the past hundred years of that tradition of jigs and reels, because I don't think that's what they were playing in the 1890s. You know, I think that came about after the 1920s. Um, playing jigs and reels. And I think that came out of the Legion Corps in New York, um, where that's my perception anyway. Um, Could be, Mark, but you got to remember, the CF&DA was founded in 1885, so. Yeah, but they were playing marches and whatnot. They weren't playing jigs and reels. They were playing Old Dan Tucker. They were playing, they, they, they were playing, uh, you know, they, they they weren't they weren't playing the jigs and reels that that they, I think they were playing more of the popular music of the day and I think it's the I think it's the New York influence the Legion Corps associations of the 1920s and 30s that that got us that that certainly got Landcraft playing jigs and reels 
and got us all playing jigs and reels. This is a theory I have. I have no no hard documentation on it as of yet, but but you know. Well, I'm certainly willing to blame all the bad stuff in Fife and Drama in New York. So I got right. <laughs> and, and, and this is consistent with, as I told you, you know, there was a window of time when, when, um, when I joined the Sailing Masters, the drum sergeant in the Sailing Masters was Harold Deck. Now, he had grown up in the Chester Corps. Um, his drum teacher actually drummed in the Civil War. Wow. Yeah, and Harold drummed in the Army in World War I. Um, but when I joined the Sailing Masters, after I had kind of earned my place in the Fife Line, I was one of the cool guys. Um, on Thursday evenings, a couple of us would hang out in Harold's cellar, Jim Liguori being one who was, I think Jim was a great drummer. Um, but uh, but we and we play a few tunes and Harold would tell us stories and we play a few tunes and Harold would tell us stories. Some of them were his stories, some of them were stories from his drum teacher. But like sitting there, I was listening to a hundred years of knowledge, you know. And some of my theories on where fife and drum happens and and Harold would distinctly talk about how drum corps changed with the advent of the Legion Corps and the VFW Corps, you know, how it, it, it just changed the way we played. And some of us here kept playing this way and some of us kept started playing this way. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think in New York, the Irish were coming into their own, you know, and, and Fife and Drum was the music of every Catholic school in the city. And, and that's where we started playing jigs and reels as marches, I think, you know. Um, and this huge, this huge, wonderful repertoire of mm. Irish dance tunes as marches. Um, but my theory is, is that comes from New York, that it wasn't yeah. played in Connecticut until early in the 20th century. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's some interesting look at the past. And, uh, you know, and I think, I personally think the future of Fife and Drum is in, Pretty good hands as long as we can, really good hands, as long as we can, you know, keep membership strong and keep cores from folding and getting kids in and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be the, that's going to be the key to it all. And, you know, maybe that's something we can all work on for the next uh, couple decades or however long we have, you know what I mean? So well, uh, Brendan and Dave have done their part because the single greatest uh, contributor to lifelong involvement in Fife and Drum was having a parent who was already in Fife and Drum. <laughs> so well done, guys. <laughs> well done. Pop out a well few done. more babies. I got Pop, enough. Yeah. Yeah, right, I, keep them going. My seat is strong. <laughs> right. I, I am done. I, I, I think we've contributed enough. Now, now it's, it's how do we inspire them is going to be a whole other Whole another ball of wax. <laughs> Tell them not to. You can't have fun like me. <laughs> so, Bill and Mark, this has been an awesome, awesome discussion and an absolute pleasure uh, for all of us. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, well, thank, thank you for having, having me. Thank time. Hey, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Mark, before we uh, we leave, can you lead us out with a tune? Choice. My father was a keeper of the Eddystone light, and he slept with a mermaid one fine night. Out of this union there came three, a porpoise and a porky, and the other was me. Yo-ho, how the wind blows free, all for the life of the rolling sea. 
One night while I was trimming of the glen, singing the verse from the evening hymn, voice from the starboard shouted, ahoy, there was me mother sitting on a boy, yo ho ho, the wind blows free, all for the life of the rolling sea. Well, what has become of my children three? And me mother then, she asked of me. One was exhibited as a talking fish, and the other was served on a tafing dish. Yo ho ho, the wind blows free, all for the life of the rolling sea. Now the phosphorus flashed in her seaweed hair, and I looked again, and me mother wasn't there. A voice came echoing out of the night, to hell with the keeper of the Eddystone light. Yo ho ho, the wind blows free, all for the life of the rolling sea. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Bravo. Well done. I was done. expecting that was awesome. you to join me, Bill. There you go. <laughs> I can't. We can't sing together. We just would have overridden each other. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't have worked together. Okay, but it, no. that was my intent. Okay. Uh, that was awesome. a good intent, but it wouldn't have worked. Okay. Yep. Yep. I see. I didn't know that about Zoom. I learned yeah. something. <laughs> thanks well, that so much, was guys. that was really cool. Thank you for doing that, Mark, and thanks, Bill, for uh, for coming on and uh, sharing some stories with us and all that. This was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Great well, to talk to you. Thank guys. you for having us. Thank you for having yeah. Us. Thanks for having us. I had a really good time too. Say hi to Cara, please, Dave. I will. I will. And say hello to Rachel.
like this podcast and would like to support the Bottom of the Glass, go to patreon.com backslash bottom of the glass podcast to donate or click on the Patreon link on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And thank you. Program produced by Michael Blancaflor. Edited by Brendan Mason. Hosted by Brendan Mason, Dave Loyal, and Brian Watkinson. Podcast music was created by Michael Blancaflor. Logo was done by Andrew Ruddle.